Welcome to Mad Toast Live, recorded in front of a live audience. We're at 701 East Washington Avenue, right down the hill from the Capitol Building in Madison at the Brink Lounge. We're your hosts, Mary Gaines and Chris Wagner. She's Mary. Yeah, thank you. And we're very happy to be here tonight with Lil Rev. but more often than not because we had to. And so you saved them old worn out work clothes, them old blue jeans, them old corduroys or them old burlap sacks and you cut them up into little pieces and, and then eventually they'd keep you warm on a cold winter's night, you know. Those African-American quilters of G's Bend. I was thinking about them and I, I knew I had to write a verse like this. Always there's black and white Just like the day follows night Things we can't see sometimes set us free Always there's black and white Little bit of silver and gold Just like the candle that glows Changing my pocket, my sweet lover's locket Little bit of silver and gold these are the colors of my quill Painted by things that I've felt Golds and yellows and earth tones and mellow These are the colors of my quill Oh, I'm gonna have you all sing it with me now And it ain't so hard, neither Here's the first part, it goes like this These are the colors of my quill You try it These are the colors of my quill Here's the next part Painted by things that I've felt You try it Painted by things that I've felt Here's the last part Golds and yellows and earth tones and mellow These are the colors of my quill You try now Golds and yellows and earth tones and mellow These are the colors of my quill 
heard one folk singer once say, the louder you sing, the better I sound. I don't know that that applies tonight, and I'll let you be the judge. Oh, a song always wants to end, you know. A song, it does want to end. And in due time, it usually does. I, I couldn't help feeling a little down when I found myself in Wisconsin and on a dreary January day when normally I would have been in Sedona or normally I would have been traveling up the coast. I might have, might have been in San Luis Obispo or I might have been in Albuquerque or Santa Fe. I looked out the window and I was, I was pondering all this quilting stuff that my friend Nina had me thinking about. The sky was gray and I felt sad and I didn't know why when I should probably feel pretty happy. Well, it didn't take long to figure out that when the sun don't shine, the body don't make vitamin D, and you don't often feel as happy as you should. And I knew I had finally reached a place where this song might have a little bit of closure. Gray like the clouds up above, everyone needs a little love. Wait for the sun, time to don't call, gray like the clouds up above. Always there's black and white Just like the day follows night Things we can't see sometimes set us free Always there's black and white Oh, one more time now, here we go These are the colors of my quilt Painted by things that I've felt Golds and yellows and earth tones and mellow These are the colors of my quilt Here we go now these are the colors of my quill Painted by things that I felt Golds and yellows and earth tones and mellow These are the colors of my quill Nina once told me before I could sing to any, any ladies who were actual quilters I should come over and sit down in front of her sewing machine. I did just that and she made me stitch my name. I hadn't worked the sewing machine since I was in uh, seventh grade. And I sat behind my girlfriend, so I didn't learn very much. But there I was, stitching my name on her singer sewing machine. And then she led me into her back room. And uh, she said, Little Rev, that's my stash. I saw a whole wall full of fabric. As soon as she said that word, I said, Shh. I looked around both ways, and I said, Nina, when I was a teenager, that word had a very different connotation. And you never told anybody where you kept your stash, neither. She chuckled a little bit, and then she sent me home with about 12 books on the history of quilting in America. Thanks, to, thanks for coming tonight. We're so happy to have you here, finally. Thank you. And, and actually, well, that was one of the things we wanted to talk about, the quilting aspect. And you rolled right into it. So. <laughs> but where did you, when did you first become interested in that? Well, um, actually, I was doing a gig, and I had this song in my repertoire called yeah. All My Grandma's Patchwork Quilt, okay. which was written by one of my local heroes, Larry Penn. And um, um, 
this this woman who I referred to in the song, right. she uh, she came up to me and said, "Little Rev, I didn't know you knew any songs about quilting." She said, "I'm a, I'm in a quilting guild." I said, "I didn't know you were in a quilting guild." And she said, the ladies at the quilting guild would love it if you'd come and sing that song. Yeah. My eyes got real wide, and I said, <laughs> a gig. <laughs> and, uh, and then as she turned to walk away, I, I said, by the way, Nina, that's the only song I know about quilting. <laughs> Being the librarian Uh-oh. that she is, she said, don't worry, little Rev. I'll schedule you for nine months from now, and you'll have plenty of time to work up a whole hour program. And I have not been looking back since. What I didn't know was that quilters are an unbelievably well-organized group of folks and that one program um, turned into phone calls from all of the different quilting guilds all over the state. And um, And now you're the quilter's musician. That's right. Yes. (laughs) Well, you've you've managed... I've known you for, for several years, and we've kind of known each other peripherally a little bit through some mutual friends in Milwaukee, et cetera, but um, I'm amazed, I mean, looking at your website and following your, your career and talking to friends, that seems to be the nature of how your, your career has been. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems is in a wonderful way. One thing leads to another, but you're a hard worker too. You're, you're really good at the music business, but there is a lot of that, isn't it, that, that you, meet, you get in with a, a certain group of people like these quilters, and it just so happens that that's this incredible network, yeah, and 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 a wonderful thing because you're you're also really busy with, uh, um, well, for starters, I like your description of what you do, edutainment. So you do a lot. You travel around the country and do a lot of clinics and and uh, and historical uh, presentations as well, right? Yeah. Yep. You yep. teach music history at the UW Milwaukee. Uh, yeah. I, formerly. Yeah. Formerly. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, We'll write you a note. You want to do it again? No. Well, you're too busy anyway. You're probably you're traveling all over the place and looking at your schedule. Um, yeah, that's great. But uh, you've lots of... Uh, oh, you also play with Frogwater. It's a very well-known band out of Milwaukee. Yep. Yeah, and, we've been playing for about 12 years. Yep. 12 years now. And um, it, uh, they work as a duo most of the time, and I work as a solo act most of the time. When we can get together and make music, it's... Uh, um, beautiful occasion. Yeah. So it's it's hard to find people that you really, you know, can make music with on a long term basis, and Definitely. egos don't get in the way, and uh, you share the same interest in repertoire, and and you really yeah. enjoy being together because it's like a family in many ways, and sometimes even a marriage yeah. when you're um, spending hours in a vehicle traveling around together and. And all of that. So it's, it's a really beautiful thing when you have a group of people who have been actually making music together for, you know, over a decade. I, I feel very honored, even though we don't play together as much as we used to. Right. You know? I've, seen the, I've seen the group uh, with the du- as a duo mm-hmm. without you in it, and they're, they're dynamic. I, I oh, think yeah. it would be really cool yeah. to see you play yeah. with them. Sometime. Yeah, they're monstroso. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> for sure. Fiddle and multi. Well, little Rev, you can't see us here if you're out in Podland, but uh, Rev's got uh, a whole bunch of little instruments, and they're all less than three feet long. Actually, except for the guitar in his hand right now. But what all did you bring? You've got ukuleles? Uh, yep, we've got baritone ukulele, yeah. uh, six string ukulele, banjo ukulele, a lot of ukuleles, definitely. That's, my, <laughs> that's really my fascination more than anything. Um, and, it, and it sort of developed too, right? From, from your from your roots, because you started out on guitar, right, when you were like 12? Yep. And yeah. 
and added some other instruments, banjo and mando and stuff. And then later on, you picked up ukulele. You got a, I was reading, was it uh, Wendell Hall? Uh, yeah. Was it, what was it? He was a famous TV, he had a TV show, didn't he? Yeah. Wasn't that the deal? Yeah, well, um, Wendell Hall was uh, um, a guy who just kind of did a, a lot of these, um, you know, um, British kind of tunes and things like yeah. that and um, put his name on a ukulele and they were pretty well-made instruments. So We've got one um, at home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. The Wendell Hall TV uke. Oh, yeah, got, okay. Yeah. Yes. As seen on TV. Yep. Yeah. But yeah. you had a Wendell Hall banjo uke. Yeah, right? somebody gave me an, an old kind of beat-up banjo uke and said, if you, if you want it, it's yours. And, and I put it back together and started strumming on it, learned a couple yeah. chords, and I was just so smitten because the ukulele is such a happy instrument. Yeah. It's really hard to um, play a dark song on the ukulele. <laughs> I always, I'm always challenging people to do that. Yeah. You know, and I grew up with ACDC, Metallica, Black Sabbath. You know, I grew up with hard rock in the yeah. 1980s when I came of age, and, and I've tried to play the darkest songs that I know from my teenage years, and, and you cannot play a sad song on the ukulele. Well, I think when you walk, yeah, you walk on stage with the ukulele, it's a little bit hard to, power chords for starters don't really work that well. <laughs> yeah. On, uh, except, you, have you heard uh, Jake, I can never pronounce his last name. Oh, Jake Shumbakuro, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. thank you. <laughs> yep. You guys heard of him? That's the Anybody? while my guitar gently weeps guy. Yeah, right. He's, so oh, he, yeah. Plays, he plays like electric ukuleles and, and acoustic. He's just a phenomenal player all around. But, uh, but yeah, he's pretty fearless in terms of uh, making it sound like anything, anything a yeah. guitar or whatever. Yeah. But, but Rev, you've got a couple of uke books out on Hal Leonard. We can talk maybe a, more, a little bit more that, about that later. But uh, that's another, another line, a really good thing for your career that I noticed has really been... Blossoming, but yeah, we'll we'll talk about that more. You want to you want to do another tune? Sure. Yeah. Well, I'm going to play a um, an old time piece on the harmonica, and. Um and this is just something that I call um, "Ode to Sonny," who was one of my early harmonica heroes when I first started playing harmonica. Wow. That was beautiful.
beautiful. That was great. So to embarrass you for just a moment here, you did, you won the Honers 1996 National Blues Harmonica Championship. That's really something. Um, I'm uh, told I did. <laughs> what do you mean? So, you didn't know at the time? Well, there or? was 17 other people from every other state you can think of, and yeah. they were, in my opinion, all much better than me, but somehow I got the award, and uh, um, so, you know. I'm not surprised. Yeah. Uh, do you, did you do something similar to that? Um, I, did a, I did an imitation of a train. Uh-huh. I did a boogie-woogie, and I did turkey in the straw. Good. <laughs> <laughs> So, and, uh, you know, I did, this is uh, a music festival that I went down to in the corn, middle of nowhere. I mean, nowhere. Yeah. You're in the middle of the cornfields. Um, and, uh, and lo and behold, they have all these music contests. And uh, it's a place called Avoca, Iowa. Mm -hmm. And my friends convinced me that I should enter this harmonica contest. And, um, you know, you're supposed to have an accompanist and all that stuff. And uh, I just got up for the fun of it and played these three tunes and... Uh, and, uh, you know, wound up being declared a national <laughs> blues harmonica champion, which is probably more than, than, than I deserved. But I don't think so. I don't know. I've never really seen anybody up close have that much control and do all those other things with it. That was really cool. Yeah, I mean, I normally I think, of, you know, we see blues harping. I think of, you know, just really, really getting down, you know, just ripping into it. And, and not typically this, like, really, you know, what you're doing is, like, just really... Uh, Beautiful, controlled. I mean, not not to say that a lot of the great players don't maybe do that also, but it's probably a little. I would think maybe a little less usual to approach it like what you just did, as this kind it was of mellow. So musical, you're using you know? like every single yeah. part of it. You could. Well, yeah. I mean, you're right. Everybody, everybody grows up. I mean, my grandpa played harmonica till he was 92, and everybody grows up with you know, basically thinking of the harmonica as a melodic instrument. You know, your 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 um. Sort of songs, mm -hmm. you know, but I mean, even the simplest of folk songs um, can be made to sound, you know, brilliant if you, you know, learn all the different techniques. You know, you take a yeah. song like uh, "Skip to My Lou," and when you first learn how to play the harmonica, it sounds like this. You get the idea, right? Yeah. Real, real basic, but then when you you start to learn a few things here and there, pretty soon that simple little folk song sounds like this. You get the idea, right? Wow. Yeah. You make it look so easy. <laughs> I have to go. <laughs> there you go. And that's cheating. Because, <laughs> yeah, you can't use, really use a wah pedal on a uh, harmonica. Well, why would you, I guess? You know? <laughs> Not when you can do it manually. It's kind of like putting your violin through a vibrato machine, you know, <laughs> or using a capo on your, on your, um, hey, interesting, oh, what you got coming up there? I see him, uh, Rev's racking up his, uh, that harmonica. You have some for sale back there, too. I noticed you have an incredible sales table back there. Lots of CDs and also some harmonicas and some kazoos and things like that. Yeah, 
Unfortunately, I was a marketing executive in my past life. <laughs> and uh, it still haunts me to this day. Oh, man. It still haunts me to this day. <sighs> so. You know, all the rest of the musicians, have you noticed this? You know, your musician friends around you, just, they don't know, you know what they're saying behind your back? I mean, it's all good, but <laughs> how does he do that? You know, it's great. Workaholic. Uh, well, there is that. But I've learned a lot tonight already, just watching you. You want to play another song? Your wish is my command. Awesome. So I'll play a tune on the ukulele. That's how they pronounce it in... Hawaii on the Big Island, and um, I'm gonna play a song that that I just wrote uh, about a month ago for my daughter. I've got a now I've got a four-month-year-old daughter, four-month-old daughter. There we go. That sounds right. And uh, one night she was uh, sitting on my lap. I'll put a little pillow on my lap and uh, she'll be looking up at me. And I'll play the ukulele and serenade her. One night um, there was an old Ted Lewis record playing in the background. I, I like to listen to old, old um, LPs and 78s. And um, Ted Lewis is one of my favorite old characters from the 20s and 30s. He had this thing where after every song, especially in concert, he'd say, is everybody happy? And then, of course, the audience would respond, you know, unless you're just a complete curmudgeon, you know? And, uh, um, and so I grew up with this attitude of accentuating the positive, as the old, you know, a jazz song says, accentuate the positive. And uh, um, life is fraught with all kinds of ups and downs, you know? And uh, how you handle it is crucial, man. To how many years you're allotted on this earth. And uh, that stress will kill you. I looked down at my daughter when Ted Lewis said, is everybody happy? And she looked up at me and she had a great big ear-to-ear -ear smile on her face. And it was, to me, the most precious thing that I had ever seen. Um, but then again, I'm an over-enthusiastic, proud parent of a newborn, you know, and you know how that is. Here, you want to see my pictures? You know, it's, uh, I never thought I'd be that, you know, but anyways, uh, this song came out and it's, it's one part Ted Lewis and three parts Jimmy Durante. <laughs> Just like a 
child Light up the darkest night. There's already enough sadness in this life. Hey, hey, smile. I had a little tune going through my head. I couldn't sleep, so I got out of bed. I picked up my uke. This is what it said. Hey, hey, smile. Happy song that actually starts and starts and ends in a minor key. I'm Jewish. I can't help it. <laughs> Speaking of that, so you not only quilting, but you go around and you you do a lot of historical um, presentations of Jewish music, right? And uh, talk a little bit about that, if you will. Well, um, when I was a little boy, my grandparents spoke Yiddish, um, and I spent every weekend with them. So, you know, I had a unique opportunity to be around some pretty old-fashioned folks, but who had a lot of redeeming qualities. And, um, um, but, you know, it didn't matter that it was, that I was growing up amidst this, this culture. You could take, you could take any culture. You could take some Scandinavian tongue that's so prevalent here in Wisconsin. Yeah. You could take German, Italian, Polish. It doesn't matter. Um, the same thing was happening to everybody. And that is their parents or their grandparents were speaking the language when they didn't want you to know what they were saying. And, uh, and can you all relate out there in the audience? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Somebody, you, can, you can often relate with that. And um, the problem with that is that then if you're a little boy or a little girl, you pick up the most colorful words in the language. And that's exactly what I did. But uh, they didn't realize that I had this love and this passion for these colorful words that none of my Hmong, African-American, or any other nationality friends on the playground on the northwest side of Milwaukee of the public school ever spoke. You know, I didn't hear anybody else speaking those words. They were just way too colorful. And my grandmother would try to convince me that they were real by using English letters to spell Yiddish words on the Scrabble board. And, and at 12 years old, it's hard to believe your grandma when she's trying to smell, spell words like shlemiel, you know, and, uh, and schmuck and things <laughs> go, like that. Well, that's you know? not a word. Matter grandma. of fact, I told my grandma someone yeah. got in trouble on the playground for saying a word that sounded very close to that word. <laughs> so, but anyways, um, yeah. basically I grew up around all this great, great rich uh, tradition. You take it for granted when you're younger and mm -hmm. then when you're parents or your grandparents pass away, just like anything. You, uh, you try to reclaim what little uh, you can remember. And, yeah. uh, and so that's what I did. I, I started, uh, I just started learning a lot of old Yiddish folk songs and my mom sang a lot of Tin Pan Alley stuff. And so I, as I was discovering the music of Tin Pan Alley, I realized that uh, 
a disproportionate number of uh, those composers happened to be Jewish, and I got interested in the stories behind the Irving Berlins and the George Gershwins and the Al Jolsons and the Sophie Tuckers. Who may have had a similar experience to yours. That's right. With their parents and learning the colorful words and things like that. Yeah, so, you know, I mean, it's, we all have a rich history. Yeah. It's just a question of whether you want to keep it alive or not, and what does it mean to you? You know, for me, you know, I, I can't be in this lifetime without acknowledging that I'm riding on the coattails of those who've come before. Yeah. You know, it just doesn't work for me personally. So, um, you know, it, it's just a natural thing to want to keep old tunes alive, even though I love to write my own songs, right. too. Yeah, and you, yeah, exactly, your new songs... Ha, you know they have that flavor, obviously, but uh, we all we all draw on that. It's really interesting, and and I, it, it bothers me when I hear people every now and then. Uh, sometimes jazz musicians, sometimes classical musicians. You know, and it goes both ways too. You know, maybe putting down something else like like oh blues is so simple. It's like well, uh, but you can't Not play it, can it you? Right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. It's like you just got to feel it and you've got to respect it. And I know a lot of your, what you talk about and also sing about um, has to do with respect for your elders. I, that really struck me. That's a, uh, one of the things on your website you, when you're talking about things that are important to you. And I thought that was, that's a really, you know, not to get all preachy about it or anything, you know, for the, the youth out there listening, respect your elders, you know, but <laughs> just that as a concept, is, it, it says a lot about. Yeah, well, I mean, we live in a culture that... Um, you know, belittles um, our aging process. You mm-hmm. know, it pushes people in the corner and, oh, and, and, that, and it sends them to a nursing home and mm-hmm. and pretends t- to say that there's nothing left for these folks to share with the community at large. And um, yeah. tribal culture and this this whole thing we call the human race is evolved on um, retaining the wisdom of your elders. You know, if, when when you don't do that, you have problems, and you know. Well, let's take a close look at America and see what, yeah. you know, what's Well, otherwise, wrong with if it. you don't, you're starting over. You're reinventing the wheel all the time. You know, if you don't learn not only from the good things, but also from their mistakes. Yeah. Right? Well, more often than not, if you really would listen to the elders, you probably yeah. wouldn't go to war, unless you absolutely really had to. You know, so it's a. Uh, In hindsight, you know, yeah. What else you got there? You you haven't played all your instruments yet, by far. I know. I don't know if I want to. Okay. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I want you to. I could play the baritone. The baritone, yeah, that's a beautiful instrument. And at some point, we'll have to have to play one together here oh, yeah. too. Now, do you know why or how the baritone came out came to be? What I know about the baritone um, is based on part truth and part fiction, just like all probably everything that is folklore. Um, um, everybody who thinks of the baritone usually connects it to Arthur Godfrey from the 1950s because he played a bar- baritone. And he's really the guy who popularized it in the 50s. Yeah. And um, uh, I'm told that the f- uh, Favilla or Favilla um, guitar company had some role in starting it as well. Um, but pretty soon everybody jumped on the bandwagon, um, Gibson and Martin and Regal and all the different makers of great American instruments, you know. Um, this instrument here is made by a guy named Tony Graziano out of Santa Cruz, California. And um, with all the headlines reading, thousands of jobs are leaving the United States, 
you can uh, take pride in the fact that uh, one bright spot is that Americans are building some of the finest instruments they've ever built right now. Right now. That's just All chilling. Over. Not just ukuleles either. <laughs> you know. And for, for those, uh, for the, for the uh, people maybe not in the know about the baritone ukulele, those, the strings are literally the top four strings of a guitar, right? That's so right. if yeah. you play guitar and you wanted to try out a ukulele, a, bari- a baritone would be a nice end to that sound because right. the top yeah. four strings are exactly the same. Yeah, yeah, or you've tried the guitar and, uh, you know, your fingers just don't feel comfortable on the steel strings and then you can step, you know, step yeah. down to the, to the baritone. It might be a little bit easier. You know. my, the first lessons I took, my brother was a great guitar player. When I was a little kid, he gave me a ukulele. And I remember I, we, I used the, the Mel Bay, The Easy Way book, you know, and it, it wasn't that easy. That's mm-hmm. still the only baritone book on the market, I think. <laughs> and, yeah. But it was great, you know, for a little kid, a ukulele was perfect, you know, it's a little guitar, and it made sense. Yeah. I've always thought it was really funny that it was, my dog has fleas. You got somebody who doesn't have that kind of ear and it's my dog as we. <laughs> yeah, it can be confusing. I don't know how to tune this. My dog as we. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. Carry on. Carry on? Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, he's got a pickup on it and everything. This has a pickup on it and everything. That's right. Yep. That's great. Um, uh, let's see, I'm going to play a lullaby only because I've been thinking about lullabies a lot lately. With a four-month-old, this sort of thing just happens naturally. And um, if you went to a Jewish nursing home, this would be top ten nursing home material. <laughs> I'm telling you all that right now. And you'd have to pass around the tissue box, too, because it's, it's to Jewish people what Hank Williams is to the country song. It's a tearjerker, you know? And uh, I'll sing a little bit of it in Yiddish for you, and then I'll sing a little bit of it in English. And uh, and it's a lullaby. So if anybody needs to catch up on a few winks, this would be your time to do it. I I wouldn't hold it against you. Tiny little 
mystery, mysticism, and magic in that ancient alphabet. So it's a chance, not only a lullaby, it's a chance for your, uh, for your, your little one to learn a, a little bit of something, too, oh, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely, yeah. I, I'll, that's one that I'll be, I'll be singing to her for sure. Yeah. And I'm positive it'll put her to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that intro is pretty riveting, though. I don't know if that would wake me right up. That, <laughs> you know, it's, it starts out it's almost like a Fandango kind yeah. of thing. That's cool. That one's probably about 110 years old, that song. Okay. So that's definitely public domain. Definitely. You don't have to worry about that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're drawing from deep in the wellspring tonight. You have, yeah. uh, I noticed, I didn't, I didn't note the name, but there's a, there's a rabbi that says about you, uh, calls you uh, the Jewish Pete Seeger. <laughs> and you actually have a quote from I don't Pete. know if I should appreciate that or not. <laughs> and Pete Seeger, you had a quote from Pete too, an art theme and Dirty Lynn, a lot of, a lot of people talk about you. Uh, but Hal Leonard, great publishing company right, based right in Milwaukee, you have two ukulele, ukulele method books right now, and plus another one, Easy Songs for the, for the Uke, and another one on the way. You got another one in the oven here, right? Yep, yeah. Uh, 101 licks for ukulele, and the immediate <laughs> reply is, by gosh, little Rev, I didn't know there was 101 licks for the ukulele. <laughs> now you but, have to uh, prove it. But I'm, I'm, I'm looking for them. I know they're out there. <laughs> yeah, it seems like the neck is too short. There just yeah. can't be that many. Yeah. Oh, you're still hoping that there are. Yeah, yeah. Wow, I'm, that's really I'm living just kind of life. riding on a wing in a prayer here, yeah. you know. I, I've got about 32 of them so far. And, cool. And I know, there's, <laughs> I know there's a few more out there. That's like planning the CD release party before you record the album. Isn't that's it? right. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I like that. And you, you also brought to my attention the Milwaukee Ukulele Festival coming up, September 26th, 2009. From 11 a.m. to 10 p.m., Milwaukee Ukulele Festival. There'll be some posters around town, spruce tree music, etc. But I'm sure information on your website too. Oh uh, yeah, yep. There'll, there'll be a link on the website, and um, um, there's a uh, on the bottom there. Yeah. There's if you want to announce. I don't know how, if that title's sure. not long yeah, enough. Absolutely. Um, well, for starters, Lil Rev's site is lilrev.com. L-I-L-R-E-V. And, but if you want to find out more about Milwaukee Ukulele Festival on September 26th, go to myspace.com slash Milwaukee Ukulele Festival. That simple. There you go. Myspace.com slash Milwaukee Ukulele Festival. All day workshops, vendors, jamming, open stage. It sounds great. I mean, some great uh, groups. Well, Boulder Acoustic Society, I've heard of. They, that's a phenomenal group. Now, yeah. do they have ukulele orchestras like they have mandolin orchestras? Sure, yeah, yep. Yeah, I mean, if you, if you, go, if you YouTube uh, the uh, Ukulele Orchestra of Great Britain, that's a fabulous group. They do, oh, and they do some them, crazy yeah. stuff. I mean, just yeah. things that you wouldn't expect. Um, but yeah, definitely. Do they have a bass uke? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, you name it, they've got it all. Yeah. They, I, yeah. I saw on YouTube, I think they actually do a version of, um, um, was it? Uh, Clapton, uh, What's that? In, in a, a white room. White room. 
Yeah. Yeah, I mean, stuff that you never would expect on the ukulele. Yeah. And uh, (laughs) And they do it well. Yeah. And the thing about it is that it's coming from more of a ukulele club perspective. And that these are the whole basis behind this ukulele revival right now. if you're interested in this sort of thing, is, um, is that it's empowering people to make their own music, just like they did during the folk revival and just like they did in earlier epics of American history, uh, where people are realizing that this tiny little instrument, which is not only portable but affordable, is something that anybody can pick up, learn a couple of chords on, and make their own music. And isn't that... Um, Radical in an era that seeks to homogenize everything in hopes that we'll play Nintendo all day or spend all of our day on Facebook. You know, yeah. it's uh, you're actually interacting with other people and folks who wanted to play music yeah. their whole life can pick up the ukulele and learn two chords and right off the bat they're singing Ico Ico all day. You yeah. know, so yeah. it's I it's pretty say, cool. I'm pretty good at ukulele hero though. I've gotten really clearly hero. Yeah. yeah, I don't know nothing about that. Kind of sick. No, I don't either. Yeah. I'm just kidding. But I heard from another teacher the other day that um, another guitar teacher where I teach that one of the students said, "Well, I'm really, really good at guitar hero, so I figured, you know, I'd be pretty good at this too. You know, playing real <laughs> guitar." <laughs> we just laughed. Good luck with that. Yeah. 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 Well, you got to learn the moves. One thing interesting thing about Suzuki violin method is that the kids, I mean, assuming you're starting at a very young age, which is sort of part of the philosophy, uh, for a long time, you don't even have a violin, which is actually very wise with a (laughs) four-year-old, not to give them a violin, you know? But they give them a a thing that, a piece of foam that looks like a violin. Do you know about this? It's it's kind of interesting, you know, and and, and literally a stick. For a, for a bow. So they learn the moves first all together, you know? And I, and I think about rock guitarists or people who get into guitar because they want to get chicks or if they want to, uh, you know, they want to be a rock star. You learn the moves first in a way. And I don't know, it's an interesting cultural phenomenon. I don't know if that yeah. translates well, to... Well, you see, the ukulele is not what you might call a macho instrument. <laughs> no, I, I get mean, that. You yeah. can't get up and swing your arms yeah. around like a you I know, play Pete Phil. Townsend. Oh, Chris does. And, and so automatically, <laughs> it makes yeah. it a novelty. And when you could be the best player in the world, yeah. you know, and, um, and everyone's going to still give you a smile because it just seems like it shouldn't be done. You know, and that's what makes it very cool, is that you can't take yourself too seriously when you play the ukulele. And I'm yeah. playing and teaching with people all over North America who leave me with my jaw hanging down because they're playing, they're playing classical music like the late John King. They're playing, you know, uh, some of the finest fiddle tunes and uh, instrumental stuff like James Hill and yeah. writing fabulous songs like Victoria Vox and, and on and on and on and on it goes. But uh, so it, it makes believers out of many people. Yeah. But uh, I love the fact that it's, it's, it's a happy instrument because of its novelty nature, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. So. And I happen, well, it's just a side story, and we should definitely play some more. But um, I, I managed to wind up with one of Lil Rev's former u- ukuleles. I teach it, Mary and I teach at Spruce Tree Music here in Madison. And uh, I had, pre- prior to that, and most people I think probably start out on like a $32 piece of junk ukulele, and they think, oh, a ukulele's a toy. Well, it's like, yeah, a lot of those things are out there that make you think, well, it is kind of a toy. You know, you can't really tune it very well. And all you have to do really is spend a little bit of money and get a better instrument, spend $100, spend $150, $200, and get a real instrument. 
It's going to play in tune. It's going to have great tone. And so I was just thrilled to buy this thing. And they said, yeah, that used to be Little Revs. Do you recognize it? It's right over here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. We yeah. thought it was the nicest sounding ukulele we'd ever heard. Yeah. Yeah, that, that one uh, has a ghost of ukulele Ike in it. That's why I got rid of it. Oh, I just... Uh, it's oh. just too much for me to handle. <laughs> but, yeah, it's been sitting over here, just this little th thing in my ear going, Papa, 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 <laughs> you know. Like, shh, no, shh. So, I thought that was a little strange. <laughs> hey, you want to play something together? Sure. Um, I don't know what that would um, be. But. How about... We're so prepared um, this on might this might not be the most user-friendly key, but... If you're willing to play a uh, 12 bar blues in B flat, sure. Then, oh, uh, yeah. I've got one that's been on the tip of my tongue here. So, um, what do you hear? Fiddle, fiddle, or commando? Whatever your okay. heart desires. Okay. And, uh, um, I don't know, I forget how it, everything becomes a blur. Um, and I haven't been getting much sleep, so remembering verses and some of these songs for the first time in my life I've been performing for eons and this is uh, this is kind of interesting because now every time I get up on stage it's pretty common for me to forget a verse or forget what song I'm playing and all that stuff. Sleep deprivation does very interesting things and you the audience should be awfully entertained by it. Um, but uh, nevertheless um, because I cannot remember how many years ago it is all I will tell you is that I dated a woman, and um, she was jealous of so many aspects of my life, but the most prominent one was the fact that I am so passionate about playing music every day. And it does not matter that I make my living at it. I'm, I'm grateful for that. But if I didn't, I would still be playing every day, just like the artist or the poet or the runner or the swimmer, or the gardener, or anybody who finds things in their life that they are passionate about. And so one day she walked downstairs, she saw me practicing again, <laughs> and just lost it. I mean, just lost it. And, uh, uh, you know, that was, that was like the last straw, I think. But she didn't even realize she'd given me a song title. She was just steaming, you know, and didn't have anything to say. She just looked at me, her face turned red. She pointed her finger at me, started shaking her hand, and she said, she said, it's, 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 it, uh, it's me or Uke. But she didn't even, didn't even realize what she had said. You know, I was so doggone terrified, Chris, in the moment. You know, just terrified yeah. that I was going to get hit over the head with a rolling pin or something. <laughs> you know, that, that I didn't think about how funny it was. Uh -huh. and, uh, it's a good thing you didn't laugh, because that would have... Yeah, that would have... Finally, it became a song. <laughs> so, so here it is, the Me or Uke Blues. And uh, maybe some other musicians can relate to this. You don't mess with that, you know? Oh, no, no. You don't yeah. mess with when somebody's passionate about what they love and try to come between those things. You're just setting yourself up for a whole lot of heartache because music and a relationship are two totally different things. Yeah. So, anyways, here it is, the Me or Uke Blues. Here we go. Off, uh, off the turnaround here. She told me that she loved me. She's saying that she'd be true. She's saying she never would leave me, no matter what I do. Oh, that's what I heard her say. 
down to the tavern to think about what she said. I love that ukulele, but she was so good in It's me or you. So she really just, she, that just came out of her mouth and she didn't find it ironic? Not at all. That was the strange part. That's very strange. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Things that, that, that make sense that happen. You do that all the time, Mary, when you're <laughs> really, really angry at me. You say the darndest. No, I'm just kidding. You do that. No, I mean, not, not about I've the anger thing, but you do, you though. You, you just come out with things. There's, they're usually on stage and they're usually semi, you know, embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I have a tendency to say things that that can be taken ways that I never intend. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's fun. It's really exciting. Hey, do we we have time for for one more? Okay. Can we do that? Sure. Yeah. You want to hear one more? Yeah. Please say yeah. 
All right. Oh, yeah. We're so happy to have Lil Rev here with us. Oh, I got to tell you one thing we did yeah. this week. We played at a sort of a barn dance wedding, and um, we combined... Actually, we've been doing this with Colin O'Brien. We combined Hava Nagila with Roll Out, your, roll out the Barrel. Oh, that's cool. So it was Hava Your Barrel? Yeah, Hava yeah. Your Barrel. Yeah. It was yeah. so much fun. And we just wanted to ask, is that sacrilegious? Is that a terrible not, not in my world, it's not. Thank you. Good. Yeah. Okay. But, you know, I, I grew up, you know, with the poor Jews on the other side of the track. That stuff happens all the time, so. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wanted to mention also... Again, your website, lilrev.com, L-I-L-R-E-V.com. Also, check out CDs, The Fountain of Uke, Volumes 1 and 2. Yep. And, uh, and that just came out too, right? You the just Fountain of Uke. Found, um, someone my, said well, my that latest said, one is called Drop Baby Drop. Oh, and it's, uh, it's sort of a follow-up to that ukulele uh, series of uh, albums that I've made. And it's, okay. Uh, uh, rare blues, originals, novelty, uh, old time, just a really great, with a lot of good players, Steve Cohn and Peter Rowler and a lot of really oh, yeah. good Milwaukee musicians helping me out on that. On that. So that's my latest uh, release. Cool. And uh, yeah. So on your website. Those and, are some really great musicians. Yep. So we got time for one more here? Yeah, please. Yeah. Well, why don't you guys uh, join me? Sure. And uh, I guess we'll uh, let's finish out with uh, uh, one more sort of old time blues here. Is that is that the banjo uke? This is a uh, flat iron. Flat iron. Uh, it's just a kind of a boy. I don't know. Um, it's almost a mandolin. It's, it's modeled after uh, something I guess they've been making that they call an army navy model uh-huh. of mandolin. Uh, they've been making them for boy since the early 1900s. So. Um, yeah. And mostly what I like to play on the mandolin is, um, is I like to play fiddle tunes and I like to play jug band music. So here's uh, sort of a collection of traditional uh, jug band verses. And uh, most people don't think of blues on the mandolin. That's what I really like. And, uh, oh, I love, yeah. Yank it's just got a great, great sound. Among many others, yeah. So here we go, uh, G of key.
money. Make some money now. Thanks for coming. Will Rev. Thank you all for coming tonight. This has been Mad Toast Live. You can catch us on iTunes and also on madtoastlive.com. Special thanks to our front of house engineer and podcast producer, Mr. Andy LaValle from Bear Sound. Thank you for coming. <laughs>